Welcome to Be Transformed with your host, Reverend Christopher Leshber. Be Transformed is an outreach of Romans 12.2 Men's Ministry, empowering men to overcome and thrive by breaking cycles of addiction, trauma, and generational curses. Romans 12.2's vision is healing families and society by transforming the minds of men into the mind of Christ through discipleship within a community of warriors for the kingdom of heaven. You can text or call them at 512 that's 238-0000 or romans-122.org. Romans-the-number-one-number-two-letters-t-w-o.org. Now, here's Christopher. Well, welcome back. And Brother Isaac, what do we have on tap today? It be Derek. Be transformed. Yeah. Welcome, Christopher. Uh, before... I was calling you Christopher. I called you Chris. And uh, as we get started today, it's part two of Chris to Christopher. Um, as we be transformed, um, really, Christopher had some some childhood past and some wounds that uh, we're going to hear about as we go through here today and really want to hear about more of that and how that reinforced who Christopher is today. And uh, as Romans 12, two men, it's about going back and really digging into those strongholds and really learning what those limbic lies are that we go in and demolish those and take every thought captive and make them obedient to Christ, to be one and like-minded as Christ. And Christopher, we just want to, so honored and privileged and just want to really get into this today and hear more about your story. Thank you, brother. And as you said, uh, you, you knew me as Chris, and my wife knows me as Chris, dated me, and courted courtship as Chris. My mom and sister and others still call me Chris, and that's okay. So those of you who are listening to it, it's all right. It's still okay to call me Chris if that's who you know me by. What it, what it does give us is an opportunity to speak towards that specific transformation, and I, my preference is to be called Christopher. It is to be called Reverend Christopher Leshper, or Christopher, as we are in this, so we appreciate your focused effort in, in welcoming this testimony, this part two. So please consider listening to part one, which is episode one, gets into that. And in episode one, we talk about being a fighting farmer. I talk about being a fighting farmer, a family of origin of actual farmers. And that goes all the way back to Ludwig Fizzle in 1882, hopped on a boat out of Germany, born just southwest of Nuremberg. Germany is where my maternal side of the family is from, and he had a son, 12th son, here in Sandoval, Texas, Sandoval, America, which is outside of Thrall. It's in between Hare and Thrall, so if you know where Thrall is, that's already a small town. Sandoval is just like a little community there where uh, Rudolph Fizzle was born, and Rudolph brought into the world Aline. Aline is a namesake for Eva Aline. And, of course, Aline brought into the world my dad, uh, Larry, uh, Pops, and then myself. So our kids represent sixth generation. We go back 141 years on that side of the family here in this area. And all through that has been farming until my generation. And God called me out of that to do a different level of farming, different different type of planting seeds and raising crops of, of people and, and, and breaking generational curses and and as we reflect back on, as Isaac mentioned, strongholds, the strongholds of the enemy. 
those were those were formed out of the wounds that we received in our life. And in and, the and first episode, we talked about big T trauma and small T trauma, and we're going to expound a bit on that. And family of origin is so key because as we understand neuroscience today, our attachment is formed by arguably the prevailing theories. Again, this is episode one, are a secure attachment, a disorganized attachment, or a anxious attachment. And mine is disorganized. And you're going to learn a little bit more about why that is the case because there's times where it's very secure and there's times where it's very anxious, disorganized attachment. And then limbic brain, our emotional brain is fully formed by age five or six. As Dr. Roberts in Pure Desire really expounded on in my life and starting in 2017 and helped me to better understand why it was I was reacting to the stimuli out there, why I had still some of these strongholds of the enemy. And um, as we were praying in this morning and, and beyond in our walk together, Isaac and I, there was a movement in his walk where God grabbed a hold of him in a stronghold of God, that, that, that were an intimate moment in his life. So please take a listen to, I, to Isaac parts one through four uh, found on our uh, podcast, on our website. And in that, he had that stronghold of God so there's a stronger hold that's out there than the stronghold of the enemy, except we have to hunt them out. We have to find these wounds because an un, un, unfound, undiscovered an, uh, wound is an unhealed wound. And until we face the pain, until we move into it and actually heal it, it's going to re- remain there. So as we dive into some of my wounds, some of my big T trauma and small T trauma, if we had four plus hours just to fill in all the good of my family, we could do it. I could do that. No problem. Just straight four hours talking about all the wonderful things. And I mean, right off the bat, stability, you know, as a fifth generation farmer, like there was stability, there's land, there's, there's, uh, you know, some, some means of not necessarily wealth per se, but, you know, stability, never wanted for anything. I had a private room, an individual. I was the eldest. I had only one sibling. She's four and a half years younger than me. So there was ample time with just my mom and dad. There was time where, again, I had my own space, extended family connections. We grew up on a family farm, so I grew up with my cousins. My, my, the, I'm an eldest. My cousins and eldest were only separated by about six months apart. The second sibling in both families were born the same year as well. They're only separated by a few months. So his younger sibling is only about four and a half years. So there was this connection in school together. There's connection for family events and celebration. Lake House that my, my grandparents started, Aline and Arnold uh, Leshper, eternally thankful for that. Uh, Isaac's been a part of our Lake House, and others that, that are listening to this have been a part of the Leshper Lake House. And it's something we love to share. And, and so swimming and skiing barefooting and and night fishing. And these are things that my dad patiently maneuvered through with me, helped me learn. He learned, he was able to pass it down. So it was nature and nurture, but he took the time. You know, I'm a very competitive person. And so is he to some degree. And, and, and so we, but we, you know, we, which I say to some degree because we ended up button heads on some of these things. Right. But it was also something where he, he, he was doting on me in his way. Like he was, he was serving and he did that 
often and, and with various things. We had doting grandparents on both sides. We had all kind of toys. We had three-wheelers growing up. We had room and freedom to explore. We lived in the country. We got to drive big equipment. We were driving by eight or ten. You know, we were on shredders or on tractors with no <laughs> no cab, no AC, no nothing, you know, driving shredders at like ten years old. You know, so we, uh, I mean, God and country, like it was big. A&M was big in our family. And and they held education to a high esteem and extracurriculars to a high esteem. I, I, what I do know is that my dad worked to make it better for me than he had it. And there's no question about that. Even growing up, I knew that that to some extent. I mean, we went to A&M games and the 12th man. And I mean, I remember being on the field at Kyle Field with Ray Childress back in the day when you could get on the field. And uh, just looking up to him as a, as a kid and, and the 89 baseball team and, Jolly Raleigh, and, which is uh, the gymnasium for uh, A&M at the time. And, I mean, uh, favorite foods were provided, uh, movies, friends. Like, I could go on and on about memories and, and special events that cost money, that cost time, that required investment, required moving away from the, the farm that demanded so much time, energy, and effort to invite us into. And later in life, he learned to be a – in my life, he learned to be a pilot, you know, in my uh, – uh, teen years, and we got to go snow skiing and travel. I mean, there's just, again, ample, wonderful, uh, wonderful life. I mean, it just, it really was. And But in a retrospective view, from a healed view, a whole view of forgiveness, offered an accepted view, you know, we, we've been focused in, in a teamwork way, my parents and I, uh, moving through phases in these last six years of, of a, of a, spiritual stake in the ground in uh, in in July and I'm sorry in 2017 of, of really understanding more about trauma informed care understanding and learning more about big T trauma small T trauma and how that affects the mind and so if you're in a season where you you're hearing some of these things and maybe your family of origin you're still seeing red and only red because there was many years where I couldn't talk about my relationship especially with my dad unless I was where I could only almost only see red like I could logically get there with these all these good things that I listed and there's so many more but I could only see red because there was such deep woundedness and I didn't I didn't understand that I couldn't separate that it wasn't until as you heard in episode one late 30s that I understood that for the really first time that anger was a secondary emotion that below that there's hurt and there's there's fear so if you're in that spot permission to stay in that spot but remember it's just a season or, or hopefully maybe you're learning for the first time it's just a season because it was a it's decades in my life of us but it's still a season because our time is not the same as God's time mm-hmm. so as I moved into this uh, this the study this deep depth I have this friend here that's been tracking with me since 2000 and I've, I've learned some of his uh, story around the poker table and on, on the washer pits and at A&M games and other competitions and basketball pickup and other things and just friends and just kids parties and other movements in our life. We traveled together. Heck, we got in a car and drove to Kentucky for some business thing like together. So we learned a little bit about one another's story. But, you know, and just a few things that I learned at that point, if, if I was going to stay in a comparison game, I could very quickly be stuck. Like, why would I even talk about my traumas? And once again, listen to episodes one through four for Ike to Isaac to get a better understanding of this. But how does that strike you, Isaac, when you hear that about comparison game? Christopher, we as as we've done the work since, like you said, 2017, you really can't compare trauma. There's We're all unique to our own story and our own trauma. 
and uh, holding someone's story near and dear to your heart, uh, even though we did share some of those moments, but those were moments that were guarded and blocked and and shut down, even though they were shared, they weren't shared from a holistic heart perspective. The measurements were just, hey, I'm getting this out just to one-up you or, or put you down or something to that effect, because I think Ike and Chris were hanging around, but our truest selves were there. We are trying to not compare, but we are trying to get more out into the light, which we're still fighting that limping lines of, I got this, that's one of yours, I got this. If it's gonna be, it's up to me. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and once we really hone in on those on those traumas and go back and heal from those, the pain is gone. I believe you have a quote from that. When you deal with the pain, the pain is gone at that point. So at the and it's kind of like when you compare the trauma, it's like comparing sin. Well, I didn't I mean, I didn't really take it. I mean, I just it was a piece of bubble gum. It wasn't. I didn't steal it or, you know, just making sin less than it is. You can't say, well, it's no big deal. I mean, just move past it. It is a deal, a big deal because there's something that is in your own personal trauma. And, and as men in Romans 12, too, we want to come alongside and hear those wounds and those traumas to say, man, I'm here for you. I hear you. Let's go ahead and, and, and really what can I do to help you come alongside and process and go through these things. And that's what we do here is as discipleship and making that trust and that building that trust and that relationship there. That's good. That come alongside to identify what what are these big T traumas and what are these small T traumas that Dr. Roberts teaches us about a death by a thousand cuts. Like arguably, you know, and, and, and we're, I'd have more, less or more doesn't necessarily matter, but the death by a thousand cuts more so than the big T traumas where we look at your testimony, Ike to Isaac to Ike to Isaac. There's more arguably more big T traumas when when the most developmental key developmental moments of our life, again, the zero to 18 months and the zero to, to five or six years young. So it's natural to compare and we're going to compare. But given permission that that when you do that, what we need to come down to as you voiced in regards to Romans 12 2 and come alongside is what we got to come down to is that our bodies and minds and spirits are responding to trauma whether it's big T or small T so we'll de- we'll define a little bit more of that because how our bodies our minds our spirits respond to stimuli is incredibly important and it's very forming as to how we end up responding the rest of our lives so as we in episode one we talked about the 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 example of the thumb inside the palm and you know when a stimuli and circumstances come along and trigger that emotional brain that the thumb represents then our our tendency is to to flip our lid as it were and and i'm throwing my four fingers up with the rest of the palm because it's like that's how i was living i was living in, in a controlled rage environment and that's what that's something that it would come out in the most inopportune times. So if you're if you find yourself very angry and frustrated, not sure where this is coming from, I, I guarantee it's from hurt and fear. There's something below that that we need to excise. And that's moving into the scripture. That's where the Exodus thirty four, five through seven has been so incredibly pivotal in our lives, is that we want to break generational curses. We want to move from hating God to loving him and, and not a hate like a feeling, but a prioritization of, of God in our life. 
5, Exodus 34, 5 is, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, called out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, Hesed. I lavish unfailing love, hesed, to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children to the third and fourth generation. Now, that sounds harsh because it is, but it's also very loving because... As we move through those six generations that I talked about, there were corrections being made each generation as they're loving on God or trying to love God with all their heart, mind, and soul, making adjustments. And again, I give credence to my dad and others and my mom and so forth to do that very thing in their family. But I came to have a disorganized attachment because there were... There was anxiety in the home. There was walking on eggshells. There was, you know, to come alongside my dad again in, in a retrospective, more healed way, he was afraid of being a dad. Like, he had expressed that in, in coming into the marriage. Like, it, they were a new couple. They got they got engaged, like, within the first week or so of meeting one another. They've been married, uh, praise God, over 48 years now. But they, you know, kind of a rushed, you know, as it were, real fast uh, dating courtship and then married within about a year of that time frame. And then family farm. So now you got the stress of the in-laws from a mom right across the street. You've got family right on top of you. You've got big brother dynamics. You've got all these things going on. And it makes it, makes it for a challenging time. And so I, I can empathize with my dad far more than I ever could. But again, for those that are in a season where almost you're only seeing red for those who have caused you harm, that took decades to get to. It took a deep dive, especially in these last six to ten years, but especially these last six years to get to a point where there was more forgiveness for the for what I uh, you know, was experiencing. I couldn't really identify, but what I was experiencing was this. If it's going to be, it's up to me, the narcissism, it, you know, it's my way, the highway and, and not expl- explaining. And, and, and he wasn't in touch with his emotions. But then my mom was, uh, you know, over overstimulated by emotions. And then we have the anxiety on that side and, you know, and looking down on my mom. And I talked about some of that in episode one about the the women are in entertainment for men or women are less than because God even says so. You know, some interpretations of the scripture that I believe is wrong, but it's it's that's what I grew up in. And so the, it, it created this perfect, you know, perfect storm of of someone who was an empath myself and, and gifted in a way of really understanding emotions and connecting with emotions and identifying to not having my emotions by my male figurehead to uh, affirmed. And it made it for a very difficult time where I, I, you know, I was like, again, Dr. Roberts explaining in, in 2017 about a Ferrari with a firepower 150 miles an hour down the road with bicycle brakes, hmm. the bicycle braking system, because I was the stimuli in my life would happen and it would seem like everything was going fairly well. But I was wounded and, and it's these a, a thousand cuts. It wasn't like there was a specific necessarily movement of some sort of abuse or a specific or, you know, but it was it was a, a, cul- a culmination, accumulation of these uh, walking on eggshells once again, the, the anxious environment, the not knowing what's going to come today, not knowing if I'm going to get yelled at or raged at or or uh, or uh, not not being able to express my emotions to the point where they were feel valid. And, and then then overachieving in all kind of ways, you know, uh, it, excelling in, in school and excelling in athletics, excelling in relationships and 
I mean, it, it was there. And, and for those who, you know, were around me, you know, also grace and mercy to you, because it was hard to be able to tell that I was going through some trauma, even though there were some signs and some of the signs were bedwetting and I, I, in, in, into later into my, uh, you know, eight, nine years old uh, memories of having a uh, accident on the bus and assemblies in class, classic signs of trauma, but n- nothing done about it. And in fairness, again, because I was ex- part of it is because I was not showing all the signs or or just some of them. And and they try to do the best they can, I do believe, uh, with what they had. But um, those were those were contributing factors to this death by a thousand cuts to where something triggered me in these various movements of life. And then my body responded to it. So once again, we have to be able to get down to the wounds to figure out why our bodies and minds and spirits are responding to hurt. Uh, again, having Playboy out it, and then finding it as early as eight and, and, and this narrative of, of women are entertainment for men. You know, uh, these, were, these were movements in my life that greatly impacted me in a very negative way. And then the way it was, because it was not just my dad, he, he left them out, but you know, the other other family just excusing it or letting it or making it okay. Like a, for some reason, that's all right to be, you know, going to church on a regular basis and then have, being a family man, but being able to lust after other women and, and be entertained by women, whether you're lusting or not. You're looking at naked women for goodness sake, like that. It, it's, it just it it messed with me big time. And again, it it it, it, made, it, it carried a narrative that haunted me for some time. And then moving into my age 12, where I had a confirmation moment where I had a connection with God and I stood my ground. But there was a vow that was already made before that about losing my virginity at 15. But there was this purity confusion of not, you know, basically anything that wasn't penis and vagina wasn't uh, sex. Like it was not losing my virginity. And and again, these were narratives that I tried to come that were that were um, encouraged in, in culture that that. That, that led to that confusion in high school. Uh, so it, it, and, and at 12, that standing the ground, I, my first date, my first kiss was with somebody in the confirmation. And then we ended up on second or third date out in some farmhouse alone. And, and with some, you know, it's like it, they went there, this, this, this girl and, and her friend to lose their virginity. And I was, I was like, what, were you not listening in class? Like, this is, this is against God. I want nothing to do with it. But when I got to school and they were making fun of me and, and saying, are you gay or you don't like women or what? Then I, then I crawfished. Then I was like uh, in an identity crisis because then I was like, oh, no, no, we did sleep together. No, we, we know you didn't. You're just full of it and this other. And so it just it messed with me. Mm-hmm. And then when I got a girlfriend in high school and then we, we, we had held out for some time of not penis and vagina, but it was the other things that were happening. I still thought I was holding out. But once that happened, then it was like, okay, well, here's who I'm going to marry. Because that's what the right thing to do is. We're married in God's eyes and had all this narrative, again, confusion. And in my freshman year at A&M, we ended up breaking up. I went off the rails. I did all kind of things where uh, I was I was womanizing. I was in drugs and, and alcohol, and God was trying to get me away from alcohol for a long time. I had MIP and PI and DWI. Nobody else was getting busted around me, or at least I could see. Not my friends and family, but I was the one getting busted on a regular basis. And when I came home that fall of that freshman year, I got a proposition from my high school girlfriend's brother that basically said, look, you either act now or you're going to lose her forever. She's going to be married to this guy that I knew she didn't love, but she was going to compromise because she wanted to get married early. And that just that 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 running at that point, I ran to the church 
the church I grew up in. I went into the building and I, I just I knew that something was amiss there. Like I was praying out to God, but I was like, I don't have to come to church to do this, do I? Like it it was. But I was wrestling with that. So there it planted a seed. But I moved into um, the um, staying in my ground and saying, look, I'm not going to jump now. I need this time away. And she didn't end up marrying him. And, and, you know, it worked out. They're happily married and many kids and they're doing great. But at that moment, it seemed like it was life or death. Like I had to make a right decision here. And I just I struggled with it. Um, but, I, I, you know, I dove deep into that that lifestyle that I was talking about, even kicking out a roommate, a life, a lifelong friend and. And uh, moving in this glory days narrative that, you know, again, women entertainment for men. Um, but I was not welcome back in my uh, second apartment. I mean, I ended up being groomed and raped by homosexuals in, in 94. Uh, man, but God kept pursuing me. And, and we can get more detail on those on other uh, podcasts that are out there. We're coming to the close here of this particular episode. But there are other podcasts that we'll post in the in the comments that you can find more details about this but God kept pursuing me through crew ministries I got baptized it, it you know took off from AM campus and drove with another guy I drove all the way to Houston to his church to be baptized and came back and mm. and I attempted to settle down I was dating a girl for six months when God came to me through a movie theater through the 12 monkeys he wanted me to see this particular scene and the fear of God was so prevalent on me it was just it was hard to even it's hard to explain, but I knew that I knew that I knew that this was God, and it was a fear of God moment. And I did change. I did a 180. We, I stopped being sexually active with my girlfriend. I stopped drinking. I stopped behavior modification of all kinds of things. I, I formed a relationship with a, what I now know is a spiritual father of mine, Adrian Williams, and, and he came into my life, and he started to help me process by venting and going through and just sharing these wounds, coming alongside. And as, as Isaac said earlier, the quote is from uh, uh, Kubler-Ross, the inventor of the grief grief process she says when you learn your lesson the pain goes away so I had to start facing these things and I started facing some of them with Adrian and I started driving in and giving myself over to the Lord so in the next part we're going to talk more about that relationship with Adrian as he guided me through some of this trauma healing not necessarily knowing it was trauma healing but it was it was becoming more intimate with our Lord and intimate with another brother another man who could know all my junk because we, we need that in our lives. So if you don't have anybody that doesn't know all your stuff, we need to f- find somebody, pray for that. We're, we, we want to be that for you at Romans 12 too. But the next time we get together, Chris to Christopher part two, it'll be about discipleship. It'll be about Adrian Williams and Kevin Zervakis discipling me and helping me through my false and true self. And then in part four, Lord willing, we're going to dive in the final part about January 10th, the spiritual stake in the ground to present. So, Next time, please join us as we unpack the S in Pops culture, the sword. So proactive, a plank, uh, obedience, proactive, and sword. And brothers Isaac and Nicholas will, uh, Lord will, and join us as we get into episode 10 there. So until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and bring you peace. May we share the good news of Christ from a plank perspective. May we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ as we proactively point our swords at our true enemy, all the while being transformed from glory to glory into the image of Christ. Amen. Amen. 
You've been listening to Be Transformed with Reverend Christopher Leshberg. Be Transformed is an outreach of Romans 12 to Men's Ministry. If you or someone you know needs confidential help or are looking for a place to serve, you can text or call Christopher at 512-238-0000 or romans-12-2.org. That's Romans-the-number-one, number-two, letters-t-w-o.org.